It is uh, so fun to get to uh, have you all all here and students to be able to have you actually here uh, for this time. Of course, we did it uh, first service without you, and it, and it truly wasn't, wasn't quite the same. Uh, and so, but I am excited uh, about our uh, time together. Uh, just kind of even some, as for those that are, are now just joining us, obviously this is a, an odd thing to jump into a session that's already been going on for a whole weekend and just to catch the tail end of it. Um, but even as y'all uh, can see by this flood of students here. We have uh, over 120 students that got to participate this weekend. We have about 20-ish uh, uh, college uh, and above uh, host group leaders um, who came in and, and led these uh, many conversations throughout the weekend and spent time investing in these students' lives. Um, we had uh, about 13 host homes. We had co-hosts. We had um, all kinds of, we had drivers, we had meal preparers, we had all kinds of different people that, that jumped in. In fact, totaling up all the adults who uh, jumped in in service, it's about 100 or so. And so really we're looking at a weekend of about 250 people in our church uh, invested in this, experiencing this, and then that is such a joy. And I would say that that, clafter, that, that clapping uh, is also for uh, a big thank you for all those people who did all that. Uh, again, there's no way that we couldn't do, that any one of us could do this, and so it really takes us all together getting to do it. Um, we've had great times. You saw in the video, you saw times of worship, you saw um, big group teaching. Uh, the, the college leaders led them in um, small group studies. Uh, you saw them doing recreation. You saw them do service. Uh, and that's actually what that was. If you got confused um, with the hairnets and then the scooping, um, that was actually we got to part partner uh, with a ministry, um, uh, family uh, legacy that actually has a, uh, a ministry in Zambia, Africa, and the students packed together meals to send over there, and they actually packed 43,000 meals uh, to send out there, so pretty amazing. Now, again, uh, we've had such an exciting weekend. I've truly uh, enjoyed time with your students. I've enjoyed being a part of this. Um, I actually have a very uh, uh, a fondness towards Disciple Nows. Uh, um, and it doesn't come, honestly, it doesn't come from my uh, growing up years. I actually never participated in a D-Now. I didn't even know what they were uh, until I was well into college. Um, but, uh, but many of y'all may not know because uh, this now is, is dating back five plus years ago. Um, and some of y'all are newer to the church, uh, but uh, I actually, when I came to the church a little over 10 years ago, my first role here was uh, the student minister, and so I actually um, predated John. I was the student minister from when I came all the way up until when John replaced me, uh, and then now has been doing student ministry here for the past five years, and so uh, when I first came to the church, you know, we, uh, we that's really where I I developed my love for student ministry, and I was going back through some notes and looking back at some old things. And our first, this is back when we were First Baptist South Campus, and we used to do D-Nows um, with the two campuses combined. So we'd have all the students who were downtown and all the students south, and we'd put them together. And our first D-Now had about 80 students of the two churches combined. And so again, to see the faithfulness uh, and to see the growth is a very exciting thing. Um, I was praying with the band the very first night, um, expressing thankfulness uh, really to God. And there's, there's a prayer that I had in it that we, 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 uh, that we have prayed over many of the events, over camps, over um, D-Nows, and, and really it's a prayer that's, that's come from a long time of just the excitement to look at the students' eyes the first night when they arrive, and the confidence that we have in the Lord to look at their eyes again on their last day and to see different eyes to see that the Holy Spirit moved, um, to see them processing things and thinking things. And we prayed that with the band starting it, and it's very exciting again to see 
um, what the Lord has done and to continue to hear stories that are coming out from this weekend of their experiences and then their time. Uh, and I'll tell you truthfully, um, those aren't my favorite stories. They are really, really good stories, and I love hearing about your stories this weekend. My favorite stories are the ones that I'll hear about um, that I've seen in the past where they come out uh, a week from now or a month from now or six months from now when you're back in living your life and then telling John about your, what's going on now and pointing back to the lessons uh, that you learned this weekend. Those are the really exciting ones uh, for me, and so I'm really excited uh, for y'all and y'all's journey in that. Now, there is some... Uh, we'll confess there's some awkwardness in jumping into uh, a sermon series that has been dedicated over weeks towards a capital campaign, The Faithful Next Steps. And so you can see, flip over to that, um, we've been walking through The Faithful Next Steps, and then uh, Chris has been leading that conversation through Nehemiah. And there is some awkwardness because this morning we're not going to be uh, picking up in Nehemiah, uh, and instead we're going to be finishing their story uh, and their sessions here. Um, but I think that there's, even though there's awkwardness in interrupting, there's also something special about the timing uh, of this interruption because here we are, as Chris has already said, um, speaking as part of the, this capital campaign is realizing the need to provide space for these students. And so to see them in all their numbers here and now to look at that picture of all of them together, um, then this, this certainly because if it's not the biggest need, it is at least by timing the soonest need we're going to need to address as a pressure point is providing space for them. And so um, again, in my 10 years here, uh, it's a joy that I've gotten to watch the, the church already faithfully respond um, to this need and to now be in the place where we're getting the opportunity to respond again. Because actually when I first came here as the student ministry, we didn't have, as a student minister, we didn't have a student ministry building. That building didn't exist. Actually, just like the month before I came, the students, actually, we had only had one service, first hour, and then they met in this space, second hour, and they only took up like the first two rows, and then they would break into the four corners and have their little sessions. Um, and they realized that this space was just too much for them, that you couldn't get intimate, small conversations, and so they moved them out to the house that's across the way. Um, so students, when I hear you say on like a rainy, dreary day, like, oh man, we got to walk all the way up the hill to our building, just think, we used to make the students leave here and walk all the way around the lake to get to that house. So just think, you got it pretty nice. Uh, you got it pretty nice. And, uh, and it, again, we were meeting into that first space, and we have some pictures of what it looked like being in, in that house um, when I was there. Um, you can see, you're like, why are students just in the living room? Well, that's all we had. Um, we played games there. It was a really awkward layout. You can go to the next one. It's a little blurry, but um, you can kind of see off to where you talked. You kind of talked off one way into the dining room uh, and then the other way into the living room. And so the people at the back actually couldn't see each other. Um, so it was, a weird, it was a very weird space, but it was our space, uh, and we, we certainly made made it work um, as best as it could. And so it was such a blessing then because uh, when I think my very first Wednesday night that I came on staff, um, we had less than 25 students there. Um, on a Sunday, you can switch to the next one, the peak Sunday mornings, um, we had about 40 when I, when I was first starting here. And so we, you can see how even that little space was pretty cramped. And I watched then with that need, um, I watched the church come around, see that, and then um, be determined to get them a new space. And then thus, uh, a capital campaign um, was already, uh, already on its way and under existence. And, and it was actually called the Limitless Capital Campaign. Uh, I found one of the old uh, brochures for it. Uh, and I have uh, uh, one of the things that encouraged me is, is it makes me feel really proud of Colson and the team about our brochures for this capital campaign. A lot has changed, especially in graphics in uh, 10 years' time and technology. 
But it, it was already underway. Um, the church was uh, setting up to raise about uh, $1.9 million in what they had already in hand and what they were trying to raise a, mil- a million addition. Um, they were, once they got all the pledges in for that, they began uh, construction on the student building that, as we know it, up there. And that building, I mean, swamped us in the beginning. And it was an amazing space. Uh, you can see, like, this is what it looked like more normally students in that building, which is, I know you're thinking, that's ridiculous. It doesn't look like that at all. Um, actually, the next one is, is the first opening, like, cutting ceremony, and that's kind of, like, where the people started filing in. Um, and so, again, uh, this building was, was such a generous provision, um, God's faithfulness, uh, and providing that through the generosity of the church. And it's been amazing to see that faithfulness now grow over 10 years. To now look at those pictures of those spaces and to see all these people packed in there um, and filling that building up and then now needing more. Um, and it's also kind of crazy to think about uh, the, the, the now the, the generosity it's going to take to be able to build that now. Um, because 10 years ago, obviously, construction costs were a lot less, and 1.9 is what we were looking at. Now we're just looking at an expansion, uh, costing somewhere between a million and a half and two already. And so, uh, again, this is, this is the excitement that we have towards, again, a need that we've already seen as a church learning this lesson, and then now we're getting to go through this lesson again. Um, they'll be in a return. And, and it's, it's really cool to not only think of that just as a need for um, right now what they would need, but actually, again, that this is an investment in a future um, that we as a church will get a return investment back. Um, because, yeah, no, you can go to that next slide. Um, this is actually a picture of a sixth grader at our um, groundbreaking ceremony. Um, uh, and, I, and he had a love for God's word, and so I asked him to read some scripture. The next one is actually him with some of his buddies getting to actually dig um, in shovels. This is the groundbreaking before we started construction. And then now if you go to the next picture... And if you see the, starting from the left, if you go three to four guys in, and between the third and the fourth guy, if you look back, you see that same sixth grade boy, um, who's Garrett Newberry, right here. It was an investment. It was an investment then to get him a space, so that 10 years later, he could come back, and he could invest. Because I need that for my kids. We need this investment of the space for them, So that in 10 years now, they're coming back to teach who's next door in grade school. They're coming back to be the leaders of the next, equipping the next generation. Um, And and this is why, this is not just an investment for now, this is an investment that will have a future return. And it's kind of fun because it's not just Garrett, um, but we have many uh, former students in my students ministry who are back as leaders. Raise y'all's hand, you can see. It is a lot of fun. So with this future investment in mind, um, this, this is, again, what we, we want to do now, um, carrying now, sk- skipping back away from that, and we'll come back to the next step stuff, but skipping back away from that, now we're going to kind of finish out our time here with the students and what they've been considering all weekend. But to do that, I know, again, a lot of y'all need a recap, and students always help for a reminder. Um, so to pick... To, to catch y'all back up a little bit, a little bit of a refresher, um, uh, we've been, one of the theme verses that you can see on our shirts um, with this concept of dig deep um, is a passage that comes out of Luke chapter 6. Uh, Luke's recording in chapter 6 is of, the, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, we find a longer version of that in Matthew 5 to 7. Um, Luke only takes one chapter in chapter 6, and he chooses to close um, the bookend, that Sermon on the Mount, with this passage from Luke 6, 46 through 49. It says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house 
who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The first night we focused, students, you remember, we focused in on that first uh, sentence, that why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That first sentence is really what we focused in on, and we had the conversation of what does it look like um, uh, uh, to, to have a master uh, and to follow in obedience underneath that master? Um, and how, again, can we say Jesus is Lord, that he is master, and not obey the Lord's words? And so we, we talked a lot about this concept of obedience, and we talked a lot about the concept of following a master. And students, you remember we talked about that this was, um, that there isn't a, a choice of having a master and no master, that our, our lives in this world are, are constantly being competed with by varying, varying people who want to tell us that they are our master. Either it's the world telling you you should be your own master or the world is your master um, or success or fame or whatever you're doing is your master or is it going to be counterintuitive to what the world says and is it going to be the Lord? Um, it was that quote that we said, remember guys, from Abraham Lincoln. That's at least alleged to him because we don't know if he actually said it. For, we don't have any firsthand recording. Um, but he said, true freedom is not having no master but choosing who is your master. And whether he said it or not, um, we certainly do have firsthand recording about the same time from a Pastor Peter Forsyth that said, the first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And then students and we considered together, we looked at, uh, remember Romans chapter 6, where Paul talks about it not just from the master perspective, but talks about it from our perspective as slaves. And he calls to us, uh, if talking about how we were formerly slaves to sin, but through Christ, we can now be slaves to righteousness. That we were once slaves to the disobedience, and now we are slaves to obedience. And we ended reflecting on the gospel, reflecting on the fact that uh, Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. And that again, remember we talked about he's not surprised about our mistakes. The sick need the physician. He came for the sinners and the lost. He's not surprised that we are sinners. And we talked about students that it was like he does all the work, remember, in that equation. He allows us to participate in his work, but that's through faith. But he's the one who's accomplishing. We don't earn our salvation. And then we talked about the grace and the comfort of knowing that when we mess up, uh, he's there to provide and pick us back up, right? And you all remember the video of the sheep? And it was funny. Well, I thought we'd share it with everybody again. Uh, if you haven't seen this one, this is the picture of us and the comfort we have of the shepherd needing to rescue us from our sin as we've stuck ourselves into the ditch to be freed and back to life only. Jesus isn't surprised when we fall back in it. And this is why we know if he's the one doing all the work and we mess up, it's okay. We need to pick ourselves up, point ourselves back to obedience in him, and he'll be there the next time we mess up because he's the one doing all this. Last night, we focused on the middle section of that passage. Um, we actually then uh, looked at the, the fact that there's these two buildings that are being built. There's these two men, and there's these two houses. Um, we have a, a man who's building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock, and a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. So we talked about how they were very similar from the exterior, but the problem is now is internally, structurally, um, that was the difference. The houses were the same on the outside, but it's really the foundation is the only thing that's the difference between them. They're vastly different in their foundation. 
And we tied that idea again into um, this idea of competing masters. This time we talked about competing messages, right? Because when we're really talking about foundations, we were talking about identity. Um, we were talking about where is our identity at its core based on. And again, we have now these competing messages of the world telling us how we can find our own identity, how we can be the master of our own identity, and how then the competing message of what God says, right? And this is the big time that we talked about um, God's economy, right? That God's economy is always the reverse of what the world's economy is. He always does things in a different order. And when we look at that with the idea of identity, we saw when the world says, how do you earn your identity? How do you view identity? It's in a three-part thing. Um, you can sw switch over to the behavior that leads to identity. Nope, not that yet. Behavior that leads to identity that yields a theology. This is the way the world says it. The world says that when you behave, it's what you do that earns who you are right? It's what you do that earns who you are. And then once you gained who you are, you then get to determine who God is. Whether it's you're pursuing fame, success, money, riches, whatever it is, it's, it's you who have to do the work. And then once you've got enough of it, then you've earned that identity. And once you have that identity, you get to choose what to do with that fame, success, popularity, whatever. You become now God. That's the way the world says it. God, however, flips it exactly backwards. Um, he says, that's not how it works. Actually, it starts with me. God would say it in the reverse order. It's our theology first. It's who God is that then tells us who, what our identity, who he says we are. And then because he's done that work, right? We didn't earn it. He set our identity. He continues the great work of allowing us to live out the right behavior underneath him, right? God's economy is always the reversal. It's the opposite. And so we, we ended closing with all kinds of identity passages um, and I hope, again, you all felt that overwhelming sense of the amazing work that is done by Jesus. All the things that he calls us to, um, he gives us the identity we don't earn it. And what a crazy loving God to involve us in his work over and over again. And so with those things covered and catching you all back up, now, students, what we're going to do is we're going to finish on the last part of this, the last concept that comes back from our Luke 6 passage. Because, again, we, had, we have these two houses we have these two structures built, but then also what do we have against it? We have a stream that breaks against the house. You know, again, we've, previously we considered two houses, two structures. Now we're only considering one event. It's not two events, it's one event. And it isn't that the storms or trials or tribulations only come crashing down on this disobedient house. It's not like the trials only come to the house that didn't have a strong foundation. No, the same storm and trial strikes against the house whose foundation is sure. John Calvin actually points to it as he says, true piety is, is not distinguished from its counterfeit till it comes to the trial. What he means by that is we don't know the if the foundation is sure until the trial comes. And for the house that is built on the, on the foundation and for the house that's not, the trial still comes. It seems like an odd finishing to a D-Now weekend to end on something like just trials and sufferings, um, but I think it's important. And I think it presents a much more accurate and real picture of what it is to follow Jesus. And I think it's important because it's why we needed to consider all weekend the first two steps. Why we needed to see a crazy, loving God who does all the work and allows us to put our identity in him alone and obey him as a master. We needed to see that crazy, loving God and his plan to give us life and life abundant. 
We need to see ourselves as slaves to an overwhelming, generous God whose favor comes to us that we don't have to earn. We need to see that. We need to see how generous time and time again God is in giving us in our identity. Because we need to be convinced by that wild, adventurous ride of following Jesus and participating in the work that he's doing it. Buckling in for that ride, for that adventure. We need to be on that boat, ready to ride that ride. Because again, to be honest, like, we need to be honest, it is a wild ride. And he does all the work for us. But when we follow him in that work, we will face trials. We will face hardships. We'll face storms in our own lives. You know, students, we already ran into this very briefly last night when we considered um, the Beatitudes um, from Matthew's Gospels. Because at the end of the Beatitudes, the last two Beatitudes, Jesus tells us, tells us this very fact. He tells us in uh, Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If we are slaves of righteousness, then we shouldn't be surprised by being persecuted for righteousness. If Jesus is the master over us, then we shouldn't be surprised if those that scoffed against him as master scoff against us as slaves or followers. This shouldn't be a surprise. In fact, in John 15, um, uh, when y'all did y'all's uh, home study sessions, y'all already considered this concept. In John 15, 18, uh, Jesus' own words, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And the only way we can understand this, students, is we got us to hold on to that principle of God's economy being the flip-flop of the world's economy. Because the world's economy would respond to a message like this and look at this idea of suffering, and the world's economy would say, no, walk away. There's no good in suffering. Give up your foundation. If your foundation is going to cause you to suffer, then move on. Find another house. The world would only think that, it, that from suffering isn't going to come reward. It's going to come just sadness and hardship. Well, that doesn't sound like a reward at all. That's what the world would tell you. But however, God points to his truth. He points to an economy where he can do something different. Because again, as it said in the Beatitudes, what happens to those who are persecuted for him's sake? For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are persecuted. For great is the reward that is given to the faithful foundations that face this slander on his account. And not only, I guess, it is that it is in eternity that this reward will come, but again, remember that already not yet conversation? This starts now. We have the opportunity to participate in now. There is blessedness or happiness, and kingdom participants can respond to suffering and trials with rejoicing and gladness. David Platt, in his book Radical, puts it like this. Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It is not comfort, nor health, not wealth, not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things, but in the end, such risks find its reward in Christ. 
and he is more than enough for us, right? This is the abundant life. This is the journey that we have. Our reward is Christ's glory, and he is all we need. And so why would we hold on to anything else? This is why um, even James in his letter writes in chapter one, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, or you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That sounds like an abundant life. That sounds like a life that we already were really excited to following. And so we also got to be excited to know, like, yes, God's work in that will be the same that allows us to get through those trials. It's not just James who comments on it, but 1 Peter 1, Peter writes it as well in, in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, this, this is a participation in the chance to participate in giving him glory and him honor for the work that he's doing. And so many times like we did before, you know, you may think like it just doesn't seem possible. When I think about myself and I think how on earth could I make myself happy during trials? How on earth can I make myself excited or joyful about facing hardships? And say, right, that's the exact sentiment you need to have. Because you can't. You can't make yourself do these things. But he can. He can do it. He's the one who's done it in the past. He's the one who's doing it now. He's the one who'll do it in the future. He can do this. So again, if we feel like, how could I do it? That's exactly the right emotion to feel. If it feels so overwhelming with the concept of thinking about um, this perspective of joyfulness that you have to achieve or earn, if that feels so overwhelming, then that feeling is correct because it was that same feeling we had when we thought about our own sins, our own righteousness, our own ability to provide for our own salvation. It's impossible. And that's the point. It's impossible because we don't bring anything to the table. And God only provides This is where we talked about last night. Remember, all you need is need. The only thing we bring to Jesus is our sins. We don't earn any merit. We don't earn any favor. We just bring our sins. And what does he do with that? He does all the work. He is faithful. He's just. He will forgive that sin. We don't earn it. He gives and we receive by faith. I think similarly, if this idea of of this overwhelming weakness inside of us to be able to accomplish this on our own, that same exact feeling is exactly why Paul um, writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He does the work. It's in our weakness, our inability to face these trials on our own, that he shows up and his power is made known and perfect through my weakness. We endure hardships not because we're strong, but because he is strong. And apparently he's laid this groundwork from the beginning. 
This, isn't, this is something that he had known from the beginning because he, when he created us and when he created uh, Adam and Eve in the garden and they stood in right and perfect relationship, uh, when we look back at Genesis 1.31, um, we know that it is good. We know that it was a world that did not have suffering. We know that it was a world that didn't have trials or hardships. But then that world, by the end of chapter 3, quickly changes because sin enters that world. And it's sin that messes it up. And God knew even then that he was going to be the one who was going to have to put an end to that sin. And this is, again, back to that already, not yet. We know that there's an aspect where he will do that fully, but there's such joy that he has already started that now, and we get to participate. This is why, again, in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, in this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary. And not only does he know this from the beginning, apparently he knew it so much that he hardwired it into our own biological creation. Because um, it's a very interesting thing, and even, even modern psychology agrees um, with the same notion, that anxiety and excitement biologically and neurologically are the exact same. When we feel anxiety or we feel excitement, our body is doing the same thing. There's just a rush of cortisol that goes straight to your brain in each one of these occurrences. Our, our physical reactions are wired this way exactly the same. Actually, uh, Dr. Sal um, Reichbeck says it this way, both excitement and anxiety involve the same chemical process in the brain. What separates these two arousal emotions are the associations we make with them. We're feeling the exact same thing in both of them, and then what's happening is we're interpreting something alongside and choosing either excitement or choosing then either uh, anxiety or fear. And so it makes sense that God's put this in our wiring and already hardwired this, and it makes sense then that when he can then do a great work and say, you know what, so when you face these trials, yeah, you may be thinking anxiousness, but guess what? I can turn that around and make it excitement. I can take what you're taking as fear, and I can turn it around and say, and make it as pleasure for following him. This is why trials then can be seen at all with rejoicing. It's because God is able to do this work that he's already hardwired in us to be able to respond to and do. And there's no doubt in his power to be able to do that. Because again, students like you read in your small sessions, John 13, or John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's got the power. So again, now back as we, as we finish up our time, we're going to go back to this next step conversation. Because when we consider this world, when we consider a world that's seeking to be these student masters, when we're, seeking, when we're seeing a world that is vying for their identities to be founded in lies, when we're seeing in the world this persecution that's going to be faced at them because they know a persecuted Savior, when we see and we look at these things, this is the time to continue to invest in them. This is the time to say that these students and the students that are going to be coming up in the students, that we need to prepare a space that we can continue to teach them of these truths, to continue to point them back to these counterintuitive, how God's economy is so different from ours, that these, that these messages, that these vying comp- competing masters, that all these things are going to be attacking these students, that then um, that we can be, have a place that we can rightly consider God's truth and God's word and be able to continue to build upon that true foundation that's built in him. And students, I want to say this in, in bringing it back actually in, in an invitation to you. Because I know a lot of times when it comes to capital campaigns, it sounds like all we're doing is we're talking to your parents. And we're saying, yeah, they need to be involved because they're the ones with money, right? 
And you're like, no, I don't have a lot of money. They're the ones with money. Why are you talking to me and asking me for money? And that is a natural, a natural understanding and a natural thing that we can get from this, but it's actually short-sighted from what we're actually thinking and what we're actually encouraging because we have and we've produced these pledge cards um, that have been going out. And on those pledge cards, it's not just filling it out and signing up for money. It's actually on there a commitment to also pray, to pledge in prayer. And this is an invitation to y'all to participate also in your own future and in your younger siblings' future and in your friends' future of provision. Because what we're also recognizing in this capital campaign is that we're not doing the work either. That ultimately God is the one who's doing the work. And just like we've seen time and time again, God does the work and invites us to participate and this next steps is also extended to y'all to participate in the work that God's doing. He'll be the one who will set the foundation. He'll be the one who is building upon his church. And so I encourage you guys to to faithfully pray that God will work, and I know you'll be blessed by participating in his work as we've seen time and time again. So now I'm going to invite the band back up because we're going to sing one more time, and we're going to have a time um, of invitation. And I do hope that if you're here um, and maybe have never heard the gospel for the first time, or as you pause and you think about, am I in a right relationship with this loving God? If you still are on the path of thinking the only reason you think you have a right relationship is because you've earned something, because you've done something, um, then you're, you're mistaken in that. If there's any doubt of your security with that internal loving God, then I would say don't let today pass by without considering that. If you don't know what a conversation of salvation looks like, come find one of us. Ask who brought you here. Guys, ask your host leaders, whatever. Um, we'd love for today to be the day of salvation. And students, I know I, I am encouraged by some of the stories I've heard of the Holy Spirit moving. And also during this time, I pray you continue to think about how is the Spirit prompting you? What does life look like not just in this bubble this weekend? What does it look like next week? What does it look like a month from now? What is the Spirit drawing on your heart? And hopefully everybody else who's here who, who does know that same Spirit will be convicted of those same things and encouraged and strengthened by Him to do it. And then we always say just if there's somebody who is here who's completed the welcome home process uh, and wants to join this dysfunctional family uh, that we call South Spring, and if you've done that, met with Lance or gone through that process and you want to make your church membership known, now's the time to do that. But as always, I'm going to invite you to stand um, and respond. You can take whatever posture you need. If you need to kneel, if you need to come forward, um, if you need to gather somebody on the right side of the room and pray, if you need to find your, your leader and pray with them or a friend, whatever you need to do, this is the opportunity um, that you're going to get to respond to the Spirit as He leads. Um, we pray that you do so now.